It's all new, it's all different. Every time it's an adventure. Good morning, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep Season 4. We're just three dudes with perfect opinions about movie, TV, and culture. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording in North Koreatown, Los Angeles, and I'm joined from Southeast Portland. He's at Anthony Lopez Part 2 on Twitter, currently lounging in a hammock covered in meerkats, head to toe. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Hey, man, after the week I have been through, I deserve it, all right? <laughs> I have... So, I... I've been, my wife and I have been, I was telling you guys before we started recording, been watching this reality show called Alone, where people have to survive on their own uh, to win a bunch of money. And mm-hmm. I went for like an hour long walk in like 10 inches of snow a few days ago and came oh, back. Oh, right, because you're snow deal. Yeah, so we're like, we in Portland here, most of the country has a lot of snow right now, but Portland, we had got like 15 inches of snow this week. I went for an hour walk, came home positive I could survive alone or Life of Pi or anything else. <laughs> I came back in from the snow and I was like, Heather, I gotta go on that show. I just survived that walk. I can survive anything. Uh, it's very funny. The small I am amount, not convinced that you could. No, me neither. But the smallest amount of like survival danger stuff, uh, I immediately get super cocky. It's very weird. <laughs> Um, also joining us today, he's at Hunbon on Letterboxd. He's friendly by day, but at night he turns into a Venus human trap, and he eats you except for your teeth from the woods of Arkansas. It's Mr. Hunter Donaldson. Eating teeth. That's a funny thing to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Eating well, teeth. Well, eating everything but the teeth. Right, I know, but I'm just saying, like, if you were somebody that only eats teeth, that's like You just ironic. really wanted the calcium. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just straight up hardened milk lakes is what I it would assume be. that's what the tooth fairy does right she's just bringing them home and them. just well, pounding them yeah i mean i don't know i i think she collects them i mean, does what i do have to <laughs> say just keeps them just has a little closet little shrine the this, island... these are brad pitt's teeth like, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good point she has like there's like celebrity teeth closet yeah, yeah, and a yeah. normal yeah, teeth yeah. Closet. and then she's just got like your like normal teeth and just like in a like jar all mixed together she's like i don't really care about any of these teeth <laughs> yeah these are I, these, these are, are just party uh, favorite teeth so if teeth. you come over i'll give you these teeth i've always thought like you know when you're at a convenience store and they have like dick pills at the counter that are like ground up rhino horns and stuff like yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, i think that's yeah. what they do with your teeth but they you just know that's grind that's them up i and... buy every time yeah <laughs> they just <laughs> The Tooth Fairy grinds up your teeth and sells them to the fairy That's world as true. like a aphrodisiac. Yeah, I'm. You know what? That's probably better for the world than if it's actually rhino horn. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd rather it it's be good. fake rhino horn than real rhino horn. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Today's show. Sorry for the gross opening, everybody. Today's show is brought to you as <laughs> always by our fabulous and thin deli sliced meat buddies. If you want to join them and help keep the show floating down the tracks, go to metreon.com and join our patreon campaign really um is the only reason the show is able to continue on because it's not dedication based it's entirely a financial (laughs) scheme so if you want to keep that scheme alive join the bottom of the period go to metreon.com um we're going to start with three great segments for you today we are going to start with the news and this little tie-in it's got a few different elements that are related to things was that a news yeah that's the news jingle okay Cool, cool. Very, very um, low. I didn't want to fully commit, but I wanted to do it. 
So I kind of just did it in the back. Yeah, we probably should have the sting uh, before, like where we're like the news. But anyway, I was I tried to do them in between. Um, anyway, so here's what the, I want to talk about the news. This ties into some other stories going around. Um, first, the story from Anthony D'Alessandro reporting for Deadline. Lucasfilm said in a statement that Gina Carano was, quote, no longer an employee following the Mandalorian actress's controversial <laughs> social media posts comparing being conservative in America to the per- persecution of Jews in Nazi Germany. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that was the... Yeah. I actually am just oh, hearing for the first time that that was... Because I knew what she had said before, the other stuff. Right, so this was the, the second stuff. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was the new one um, where well, she I... really committed to this one. The first one I, that I had heard of was where the former face kicker was barred uh, by Disney from doing any season two press for Mandalorian following her social media mockery of people having preferred pronouns. Yeah. I mean, Hunter, don't you follow Alex's private Instagram page where she got all these memes, you know, Uh, that's that's how I saw it was I, you know, I saw Alex. I will tell you, I do. I do have a Finstagram. I have a, I have a secret fake Instagram and it's because I wanted i don't want to actually look at all the posts of the people i feel obligated for my career to follow right so i have a secret other instagram that is just plants and interior decorating and that's what i actually look at oh that's um fun. uh you can find I'm, it I'm, um at white savior 69 420 uh <laughs> <laughs> um so uh that was the news was uh gina's second major oopsie doodles on social media um I don't so, think yeah. it's an oopsie doodles. So that's the problem. The problem no, is that it's, it's that, clearly she's on not purpose. Like, Whoops! Like, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, she refused to apologize for both of them. The the one with pronouns was like how the idea of uh, people uh, wanting to have their own pronouns like she's the one who's bullied. That was the key: is that mm. people um, who are working on gender identity are bullying her by asking her by having, to tell them by having pronouns. That's yes. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Which is yeah. So she was really mad about that. But then now it's like in sort of a result of that is that she's being uh, persecuted for having conservative beliefs. Um, and then also, one update to this. I was going to say, I what I saw was she posted a meme that was um, a bunch like George Soros and a bunch of other kind of rich Jewish people at a monopoly table. Uh, like, oh, Jesus. Did she really? I yeah, like that, that meme. And she was it was like a post like if we don't let them, they can't take our world or some shit like that. And it's just that, oh, so that might have been after, yeah, about like, like not, not wanting to be canceled. That kind of like, oh, I didn't know that was anti-Semitic. It's just a bunch of Jewish guys sitting around a table. I thought it was just like talking uh, yeah. about power. You know, what did you Google to find that? Yeah, how did you get to that if not with anti-Semitic search terms? Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, the one update to this from a couple days ago. Now, uh, a couple days after that happened, uh, Gino Carano hits back. Announces new movie project with Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. Mm -hmm. Quote, they can't cancel us if we don't let them. Um, So people who have been listening to us for years have said, when are you guys finally going to address cancel culture? That's what we want to hear from you guys. That's what we want is your opinion on cancel culture. So here it is. Um, So uh, I guess, Hunter, what is your um, what's your feeling about this whole uh, what's Gina's situation? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, obviously, uh, Disney did the right thing. I don't know why I, every time someone gets kicked off of something that has like, so obviously like horrible beliefs, I'm always like, why did it take 
why was this the point where it was like, oh, like, how did they not know already? Like, everyone has social media, and most of these people generally post problematic shit, like, right. on the reg. Um, yeah. But yeah, hey, Presumably at least you've they... also hung out with her during any one of the interviews. Right, like, like, you would have maybe gotten a hint. He, people don't, it's not like these people are, like, hiding it. Like, like most people that I feel like have problematic beliefs are not only not hiding it, but they're, like, preaching it. They're like, hey, yeah, yeah. this is what I think. Um, yeah. The... I think what I am a little scared of is the whole, like, the outcome of this type of stuff. It's not necessarily, I don't think, uh, people that criticize cancel culture, um, I don't know what their expectation is for culture to react to people saying stuff in general. Like, yeah. no one, generally, if, if someone's like, oh, I, like, cancel culture's messed up, they don't propose some sort of other way that we would handle this type of thing. I don't really get it. But what, I know what I don't like is that because uh, corporations have been really slow to um, kind of cancel the people that I feel like do the most harm, people like Ben, uh, ben Shapiro, uh, there's now this like shadow entertainment sector that you can just jump to. And we're seeing that literally happen now. Mm, yeah. Um, so I think really to me, it's like, yeah, when when people get canceled, generally, I I'm gonna say, yeah, that made complete sense. But why why can't we cancel the big ones? Like, why are they well, not? Canceled? I mean, I I in general, my reaction anytime somebody talks about cancel culture is that I'm willing to have a discussion about whether it's gone too far. As soon as one person stays canceled, yeah, that's all that, I want. Because be- <laughs> because and it does not count as canceled if you lose your job at Disney and then all of a sudden you're directing and producing your own movie for a different company. Right, that doesn't feel like canceling. You just Whoa. switched from the big leagues to the Nazi leagues and that's that was your choice you were like I would like to affiliate with the Nazis instead of the normal people I think part of the problem is that and I actually hate that we have to call it cancel culture because to me yeah, it's we like shouldn't. it's, it's not even real culture. To, to the extent that people talk about it but like it's so obviously always kind of comes down to this like corporate analysis of like loss and right. so it's like oh this person has problematic beliefs and we can cut them so they're gone right. like Right, then, right. It's not hard to write that character out of Mandalorian season right, three. Right. No one well, was like, but what's going to happen with did, the security lady? Did you hear that Disney announced they are recasting due to... I, I love this. This, I thought, says a lot about uh, the world we live in, kind of outside of cancel culture. But Disney's statement was, due to narrative and merchandising reasons, we will recast but I like that if it was if it was one or the other, they wouldn't. They would just write him out. Right. But it's right. like, well, we got to sell toys and the story needs her. So let's recast. Uh, I but- mean, first, I don't understand the narrative version from having watched the show. I understand if you were selling a lot of punch face security lady toys. Like, I don't want the plushie division to go out of business for this. Yeah. I mean, my so thing get a new is, face for I, it. Although, I, also, how similar is a plush of Gina Carano going to look to her actual face? Just yeah. don't like you don't even have to change the toy. Recast her as any you could put anyone else in there and be like, well, that's close enough. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, like, I think you're you're right. Like, I I really hate the phrase cancel culture. I think it, yeah, it's it, the it worst. is. It's more you know it, you're right. It is um uh you know consequence culture. Consequence like, culture. Cancel culture has been around forever. People always pretend like it's like this new phenomenon do you want to talk about like a new thing yeah yeah the idea of people staying like uh, i was saying before we're kind of recording here but like people like shanae o'connor Wee herman um 
I'm trying to. There's a lot more people throughout the. You look at like what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Janet Jackson, I think, is a great example. Yeah, and like these people who like deal with things and like get you know become like social pariahs and are dragged in the in the media and talk show host monologues is where like cancel culture used to be a fault right. for. But Britney now, what it, yeah, yeah, what it yeah. is now, it is like. It's this thing of like when people like stop getting income revenue and it's like when you have to face the consequences of your actions, like that's the main thing. It's like when you, uh, when you're a, a, you know, base, mostly, you know, white people, uh, when you've been in on top for so long, the smallest amount of downward mobility feels like oppression, right? So it's like people getting fired from a huge corporation for saying stupid stuff that is like what you're what you're not seeing is like if they don't fire her, all this does is it makes like everyone on the show's life harder because now they have to answer questions about her actions, right? And it like it yeah. changes the narrative of the show in the way in terms of like the way we the the audience and relates with it. So like I get clearing it out i do think it's hilarious this idea of striking back by making a movie with the daily wire you know like like that's at all uh right the same oh yeah disney like that's I not that's a probably, huge step down yeah. like just the like, think, like no i'm good <laughs> yeah, yeah like the also, daily- also it's not gonna be a good movie i don't know we're like ben shapiro is not a like brilliant producer and you're like i'm gonna take this actor and give them producing and directing and writing responsibilities on their own movie with no rules from like nazi money yeah it's probably not gonna be a great movie and i'm just perfectly happy for ben shapiro to lose money funding a gino carano picture that's great it is funny to me that the (laughs) the movie they make will probably also be shot in one big room but not like out of a choice out of like budgetary (laughs) reasons they just they just won't be a bottle episode movie uh, but yeah, I'm just like, so I, I want to actually, I want to just touch on, but what things both you said was really, really interesting. So I have been thinking of this as any time. I mean, the term cancel culture is insane. It's stupid. It's like a good way to show that you're not actually thinking too hard about this issue. Like the term canceling, like came from a joke on Twitter that the right just misunderstood right. and then appropriated <laughs> wrong. Like it's, it's all, that's all very ridiculous. And your point, Anthony, which is that in public life, there have always been consequences for doing things that the company doesn't like, which is how private industry works. And it, it's funny to me, it's especially funny to me, that the people who are the most upset about cancel culture are also the people who think that you cannot serve a cake to somebody for being gay. That it's like a business can decide who to work with unless it's me, mm-hmm, and then right. it's free speech and they have to work with me. Right. There are consequences to any job. There's no job where you can go say racist things or unless it's working for a racist company, you can say not racist things. But either way, there's something at every job you can say and get fired for. That's so jobs always work. You have responsibilities to your job. And in public life, it's going to be even bigger because there's all these papers you want to write about it. And now with social media, it's even easier for you to say your dumb shit in public and get in trouble. But my addendum to this now is having listened to you guys talk about it, the merchandising reason and the, the corporate parts. But this is not actually like the real thing that we I think is interesting here is corporate uh like corporate profit cancel culture or consequence yes. culture so yeah. what it is is that and and now the shat like what you're talking about there's the shadow world it's like there are a number of ways you can get fired from your job but because of 
two sides wanting to fight and having plenty of money to throw at people. There is now, a, if you get fired from your mainstream job, there's always money in the Nazi sector. Right. Yes. There's always a, and, and if it, if it wasn't Ben Shapiro, Gina could start a TikTok and make plenty of money on TikTok or just from selling brain booster pills on a podcast. Like there's plenty of funding Her going on the bad side Dillis of stuff. Are going to do a buddy team movie. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah. The the real my only critique of cancel culture is that I wish it would cancel more people like and that it would yeah. cancel the right people the yes. the like the number one major offenders because as long as those people are not canceled yeah sure uh, celebrate Disney doing the right thing and firing this person but like but I'll give you a good example here's a really good example so there's this YouTube channel the Surfs I actually don't um, watch them at all but, if, but I saw a retweet where the Surfs were saying. Hey, we put out this video on YouTube criticizing Steven Crowder and we use clips from his show. And then right. YouTube struck the the video and they sent a message to them saying, Hey, we took this video down because it was promoting like stop the steal stuff. And they're like, uh, no, it wasn't. It was a critique of that. And then it took YouTube a while and they decided, you know, you didn't critique it good enough. And they were like, okay. I guess that's uh, acceptable. However, YouTube, just want to say real quick, these clips of the Steven Crowder show are from YouTube. They are on <laughs> YouTube, dude. You are, you are, we are in trouble for using clips that are already on YouTube. So yeah, the, yeah. the corporate, the corporate way that people are canceling is not actually an effective strategy uh, for like a positive outcome for any of this. Well, in I my think opinion. That, yeah. that gets to sort of like the bigger like a bigger issue here, something that I think really drives me insane is when people, especially on the sort of right who really rally against corporate culture, talk about companies like Disney or Google or Apple as like these left wing bastions of. Yeah, they are, sort of like they are not leftist ideology. Nope. They're not at all. Like Bank of America is not a leftist organization, right? They changed their logo. They changed their logo to like a gay flag during gay pride month because that makes them more money to do that, right? Like the amount of money, like- Yeah, because gay people have bank accounts. They all, finally figured that yeah, out. But like all <laughs> companies do this, right? Like all, it is now like profitable to kind of be on this side of the line, right? But it the thing that kind of like- yeah bugs me and like scares me a little bit is this idea of like if the the pendulum would just swing back the other way and it would become more profitable to like let people say whatever racist shit they want and to oppress people they would absolutely do that as well right so it is it is funny to yes. me right. and if there like, wasn't a, a bunch of did, advertisers they, they, they already did that though and that's how we got the world that we're in now where there are where some people can get canceled and then there are this like kind of elite alt-right sector that because they bring in the big bucks, they get uh, to be in spaces that it just doesn't make sense for them to be on. It does not make sense for someone like Steven Crowder to have a show on YouTube, a platform that children look at. Like it right. just doesn't, it's not appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as there stops being a funding stream for Ben Shapiro, then there might be actual consequences for people yes. who say stupid things. But now it's like you just switch to this other platform that's creepier. And, yeah. um, and they know it. They, they're doing it. They're actively courting it. So it's like anytime someone gets yes. canceled now, 
they're just they, this is their strategy because so, they know that people are so upset about cancel culture a thing that they made up right <laughs> um in their on their their programs people they know people are angry about that because they made them angry and those people will give them money on their patreons yes um and so they can have enough income to keep so anytime it's like oh did she get is she getting punished for for being being a conservative bring her over here which it's not the position is not conservative the pos- position is being anti-semitic that's not her like, yeah. that was the actual issue or being uh transphobic and so those things are like but you know what there's a market over here we can pretend it was about conservatism and conservatives on in media have done a very good job over the last 10 years of being the victims of culture they have mm-hmm. done a very good job of complaining all the time and working the refs and making it seem like everything is out to get them and so that they have and for money to use that to get people to bring in money. And it's I working. mean, and- to, to be fair, over the last 20 years, I mean, Republicans have only had, you know, three presidential terms. Uh, so, I mean, that is not much at all if you think about it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I know it is it losing is the popular vote on seven of eight of the last election. It is. Eight, I mean, nine, that is what's super upsetting is this idea of like cancel culture, and it's like what really you. It's just like people are upset at you. You're being an asshole. People are calling you out, and they start to like pretend like they're being like dragged down because of it. I don't know. Like the Gina Carrero thing is like I don't really feel much sympathy, and it's a very clean cut thing. But I think it like. Like, I also have, like, no sympathy for someone like J.K. Rowling, who is also someone who I think is, like, on the other side of the coin. Like, someone who considers herself, like, this liberal uh, bastion of progressive ideas. But the second someone gets attacked, someone attacks her for her uh, her ideas and the things that she is, like, promoting and the damage she is actively doing uh through her words and through her money and stuff like that it's like oh i'm being canceled for just standing up for this and it's like no people are just calling you an asshole because you are actively hurting them you know um because you're being an asshole yeah yeah Yeah. it's just people acknowledging that someone's being an asshole i mean i i would love it if that ended up because i'm just not interested in new harry potter projects anymore so if that ended up with the hbo one not new reboot whatever not happening i would be fine with it because mm, right. i just don't want to think about it where you're an asshole but you know there's going to be more like that's the thing is like if cancel culture existed then like why are all these people not canceled like that's the thing yes. it's like yep. it's not working like yeah, it doesn't like, if it exists then how come it never actually happens <laughs> like, two more really quick things i want to add to that for other things that are in the news right now one is that like 15 minutes ago rush limbaugh died and one of the things we were talking about about Rush earlier that Anthony brought to my attention was that he got fired from ESPN in 2003 for being racist on the air. Mm-hmm. Like You can get consequences for being publicly racist. And do we think that that hurt his career in the long run? Like He still had a business. He still got to be in right. business. You can lose a job and still have plenty of other things. On the flip side, Janet Jackson is also in the news this week because Justin Timberlake apologized 20 years too late for absolutely destroying her career by aggressively grabbing her shirt during the Super Bowl <laughs> performance. And he got to be on the Super Bowl again, and her career was basically destroyed by a thing that had was not her fault at all. It had nothing right. to do with her. Right. It's one of the like one of the more terrible tragedies of the music industry is this like, like there is a corporate ability to keep people from making money. And it's not pointed at people who are racist. It's pointed at people who are women and people of color. Yeah, I mean, and that was the, 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 the Shanae O'Connor 
example, right? Like she ripped up a picture of the Pope to, you know, uh, protest against like the child molestation stuff that was happening in the Catholic Church. Something uh-huh. that time has proven she was right about. And her Indeed. career yeah, yeah. was absolutely devastated because of it, right? She never got a chance to come mm-hmm. back. She never got like a a safe ba- bastion that she could run to. Like she had to face real consequences for her action. Like that right. is true cancel culture. I mean, today you have someone like like Mel Gibson who can go through all this terrible stuff and then get an Oscar nomination a few years later, right? Like that is that right, is yeah. And I that, wonder I wonder what the difference is. I'm trying to work out like the difference there between yeah, Mel Gibson and like, here's another Gary, example. You know that guy, that white guy that uh directed Guardians of the Galaxy and then he got canceled James for some Gunn? stuff he said uh that also was provoked by a conservative like like it was basically like they were trying to rig cancel culture against somebody but he but he got canceled and then got to come back so like there's yeah, another that, person that got to come was, back yeah those were that was like um pedophile joke tweets right yes yeah, yeah. Uh, which but, which is especially i think a bad look when you are directing kids movies i think yes. that you might I like I am shocked by people who don't realize that's a problem. I feel like that's even worse than the jokes is like, do I want to hire someone for my movie who doesn't realize that tweeting about that publicly is an issue? Right. I, it, it was like dug up on purpose to hurt him and that company by conservatives, like so with bad intentions. But like, come on, man. How do you not once you get a job at Disney, how do you not immediately delete your tweet history? What is wrong with you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand why why people don't do that. And I'm not even really bringing it up to debate whether that should have happened or not. Just that it feels like only uh, thus far white dudes have the capital to come back after a canceling, yeah. essentially. Yeah. They're the only ones that have Louis enough CK privilege to like cash yeah. it in and say, I'm back now. Yep. Yep. All right. We got to wrap on this because we have something uh, a little bit more fun and lighthearted to talk about. Um, A boy losing his innocence. We're going to do that right after this. All right. It is time for the homework. Our topic this week, Life of Pi, the 2012 film about a boy in a boat to say nothing of the tiger based on Jan Martel's 2001 novel of the same name. Directed by Ang Lee, written by David McGee, and... Oh, nope, don't do it again, you dummy. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, they updated this thing. Why is it not stopping? Okay. All I know is that by the end of this segment, you will believe in God. That is what's important (laughs) here. Um, They they updated the interface, and now the effects don't work very well. Real fast, before we uh, get into the movie, can we just take a, a moment... Uh, because you brought up my boy, Ang Lee. Uh, yes. And we've talked a bit about him. We did Crouching Tiger last year. Um, yeah. But is there, and we talked about this when we did We exclusively talk about him in the context of Tigers. That's the key yeah. thing. Is there any director who has a wilder filmography than Ang Lee? Uh, and like that has like a truly like unique voice and vision in his films. Like there are definitely directors who hop around mm. more, but they're more like workman-like, kind of they disappear. Angley has such a specific style and touch, and the fact that he can take these weird movies that should not be like, mm-hmm. should be like small darling, like critical indie hits, and make huge blockbusters right. out of them, 
is something that blows my... Watching this last night, I haven't seen this since I saw it in theaters. Really loved it then. Uh, I really still like it. And it's just like, I think that this is a movie that has like this really broad international cast. It's mostly a kid on a boat with a tiger. And it made like $600 million worldwide. Like Brokeback Mountain, this movie about two gay cowboys, was a huge hit. Uh, It's just... (laughs) Like, right. I love it. I have so much respect for him as a director. He seems like such an odd fellow. Um, and right. just, and the, it, the guy who did both of those things also did the Hulk and yeah. Sense and Sensibility. Sense, right. Yeah. And it like, is a all, wild read. All great movies. I mean, less caution. Uh, I didn't like, I really don't like taking Woodstock, uh, but like the Ice Storm. I mean, the amount of great movies Ang Lee has made. Um, and it's a real shame that I do really like Life of Pi, but I do think it is kind of the movie that um, we kind of lost Ang Lee because of it. I feel like this is the movie that he got kind of bit by the techno bug that a lot of directors get lost in. Oh, uh, because he yeah. hasn't made like a normal yeah. movie since this. He got on this, he got obsessed with 3D, and after this he got obsessed with high frame rate, and now he's like... Making movies, I really have no interest in seeing, uh, and it's a real bummer. But I really do hope he eventually goes back to making small, intimate movies. You know, it would be really cool. Yeah, I agree. Let me just finish reading my little summary here. Um, so, Ang Lee directed, also won Best Director at the Oscars, one of four Oscars that it won out of eleven nominations. Also, Best Cinematography, Visual Effects, and Original Score. Mm. The Visual Effects author going, uh, uh, Visual Effects Oscar going to Rhythm and Hues. Yeah. The that company was, that did the effects for this movie that was and crazy. went bankrupt eight minutes after winning the Oscar. Yeah. Well, do you guys, <laughs> do you guys remember that? I don't know if you watch the Oscars. My wife and I watch it every year. Um, and this was a kind of a big story because uh, Rhythm and Hughes were outside protesting the Oscars when mm-hmm. they won. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when they won Best uh, Special Effects, they said thank you. And then right, someone was about to start to give a speech about this and they cut his mic. Uh, which was really yeah. It was out. like I was just watching. Yeah. So there's a little documentary on YouTube that's free. That's called Life After Pie. Mm-hmm. Um, that is about them going bankrupt. Good little story and some really interesting. But it's about how basically it explains in 30 minutes why the visual effects industry is just completely boned, yeah. and why just how brutal it is, how awful it is to work in it, and how impossible it is to make any money because of the way the film industry and tax breaks and stuff work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they showed that speech where. He's like, he thanks a couple people and he's like, actually, let me talk about the visual effects industry. Boom. Mike's cut. Yeah. And, and the other people who won for things, uh, got significantly longer speeches. Um, he was told that he had 45 seconds to speak and, and the mic was cut at 44 seconds after playing music before that, like not even close. So real brutal. Um, the, uh, let me yeah. Let me give you a micro summary in case you haven't seen this movie. And this is going to be a full on spoilery because there is a thing that I have to, I want to talk about. We have to talk about, and it is going to real really take away your enjoyment if you hadn't heard yet. So if you are interested in keeping this undespoiled, um, if you want to keep a pristine view of Life of Pi in your head without actually watching it, um, skip ahead by twenty seven minutes. I'm making that number up, but skip ahead to the end. Um, when you hear another great sting that plays two or three times because I can't figure out how to turn it off. Um, <laughs> so let me give you a micro summary of the 2012 film Life of Pi. 
Pai is a kid living in a zoo in India and named after a French swimming pool. His parents decide to move the family and the animals to Canada on a ship named whatever the Japanese word for Titanic is. The boat sinks, and the only survivor is Pai and a small group of animals. Pai and a tiger uh, end up being the dominant species in the boat and survive on the Pacific Ocean for kind of a while, only to discover, once they land in Mexico, that the, that Pai and the tiger were doing a fight club the whole time. <laughs> Probably. And then you believe in God at the end. That's Yeah, I, I completely forgot about that until you mentioned it, Anthony, but there, the whole movie is told to a white guy for no reason. Mm. That's the one thing about this that was really important is that it's told to, I guess, the author of the book, kind of. Yeah, but that's it's just it's supposed to be. A really interesting story, but for some reason, we had to understand that it was told to an author. Mm. Even well, though the end of the movie is him telling the story to two people who could be perfectly good stand-ins for listening to that story. That's a good point. But we have to see it instead also get this white guy's well, point of view. Even Do you guys know the story about that white guy? Uh, no, tell me more about production. the story of that white guy. Well, so I, um, Ralph Spall, Spalding, Spall, whatever his name is, plays the author in this book, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Spall, but originally, yeah. Tobey Maguire was cast in that role, filmed oh. all of the movie, filmed all of his scenes, and they realized he was too recognizable of a white guy, and he took people out of the movie. So they fired him. Mm-hmm. I guess not even fired because they had already wrapped filming, but they reshot all of his stuff with a second actor. Uh, so I to be think- fair, all of his stuff is like him sitting at three different tables, going, "Hmm, interesting." Right. It's like two it. scenes, really. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I, and not important scenes, but yeah, definitely. Toby McGuire would have taken if the the whole time he was like, "Okay, Spider Man, I have a story for you." <laughs> really would have taken me out of that moment. But it is like I think the the point of the like. The interview with Ang Lee I saw when this movie came out, when someone asked him about the like belief, the story will make you believe in God thing, and he he they asked like, was that a goal with your film? And he's like, no, I wasn't trying to make people believe in God. I was trying to make people believe in the importance of stories, and I think that is what is sort of uh... so important with the framing device is that it has to be this. You have to be right. able to see Pi as an adult fully like like fully okay right you have to be able to see him as this person who grew, who went on who you know separated from the tiger the tiger left him when he didn't need it and that he is like okay fully right. adjusted uh because the tiger part of him did those things he can't live with <sighs> so like i think that's why it's important that's to a have good the framing, answer the framing device as an older man and also i do think the guy uh Ivan Khan is an actor who I love when he pops up and stuff. And I think he's really, really good mm-hmm. as the adult pie. Um, yeah, so I do it. like watching that. Ugh, fine, fine, Anthony. Fine. You're right. That's a good point. I'm glad we had that white guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, no, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say like what, what Anthony's saying makes sense, but I also did not care for that. Like, like sometimes the objective of a scene, like what it accomplishes is, important but maybe the quality of like yeah. your your minute to minute enjoyment yeah, i think maybe there's angle. another way you could have done that especially yeah. since there is the other framing device with him being interviewed by these surprisingly shitty insurance adjusters 
and uh, openly the, shitty too. They're just like, "Hey, yeah. we're shitty, by the way." And like, not and look, I know insurance adjusters are not the good guys in most situations, but to go to a kid recovering in a hospital who just spent Jesus. months at sea and be like, "Tell me how the boat sunk." Hey like, man, this kid does not you know have, how a boat sunk. You're you lying to me. Where are the other drugs? Have you ever flown from Japan to Mexico? It's a long <laughs> flight. Your jet lag. You don't know. That was what's just. Going they on. were just grumpa dumps from yeah. the jet lag. They but, just needed. They hadn't eaten I, well. I mean, I do agree that the frame device uh i think it does work fairly okay i do have a problem with at the end uh this movie i mean obviously has a lot uh kind of in common with a film like castaway which is another movie i really like uh but i do think both of them have the same problem where like castaway is a really great movie except for that scene at the end when tom hanks is on the plane with a friend and he explains all the themes of the movie like it's just this really heavy yeah. <laughs> like oh let me tell you how why I was really survived on the and it's just like the movie doesn't need that. I do think this movie also has the same right. thing. If you had trimmed like half of the last bookend, because there's a scene when he's like, wait a minute, so you're telling me the sailor was the zebra. Yeah, that was really funny. Other, like that is like that stuff's not needed at all. <laughs> uh-huh. I yeah. wish for that Okay, no, actually I wanna stop you. I wanna stop you for a second. Anthony, you have to remember that movies are for a wider audience than you two. And you may know, just from a simple survey of hosts of this show, one of us is real bad with themes. <laughs> so one of us is really helped out if you spell out a theme. Yeah. And that stupid scene, which was so obnoxiously on the nose, where he's like, wait, right. so this was your mother. And this That was annoying, but... I didn't know who the hyena was. I needed one of them. I got like, I knew that I got the tiger. I got the monkey. I was missing the hyena. That was nice to know. Um, Like, I felt like if he hadn't done that, I would have been like, I would have immediately started the show with, okay, but who was the hyena? (laughs) So I'm part of that wide audience. I need a big tent to understand some (laughs) shit. So I do a pre, I would say most movies with themes could turn the obviousity up to eight. I, it doesn't have to be 10, but I would like it to be eight, you know, because I'm real dumb. Um, the ending, though, is what I want to talk about so much is this like that thing, that reveal of like who these animals were and that this didn't happen. Well, did, I had, I think that's kind of I do like the interpretation that like saying one or another definitely happened is kind of missing the point of the movie. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I do think like. To say, what? like, the story of with, like, the kind of basic believable story, like, a big part of the movie and what Pi is asking people is to have faith, right? He's a he's a boy and a man of extraordinary, extraordinary faith and the belief in things. Like, either way, the story is unbelievable. So what, how do we actually know which one is real? I don't know. I buy the other one. I look, I think, I think it's, it's okay. I'm not a big faith person. I feel like if he stabbed the chef to death and then ate his body, cool movie. If he was there with a tiger, kind of a okay movie. I think that the, the fact that he's lying is what makes it really exciting to me. So yeah. if you're going to say, not, look, it could be Alex, either way. Alex, eh. it, it is not a fact that he is lying. Like the, the movie is not saying, for sure, he's lying. That is definitely but not what the movie don't is saying. Have the ch- if it isn't a bigger than 50-50 chance that he's lying, no one would like this book. This I only think- exists because it's fucking cool that you watch the whole story and then, like, surprise, he stabbed this chef and ate his body when he was a vegetarian a week ago. That's what makes the story cool. Yeah. But I think I think that's... Wait, like- are you saying... No, 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 no. That's not yeah. what makes the story cool. I like the whole... 
the whole premise of this, like the way that the relationship between um, Pi and the uh, the Richard tiger Parker. develops. His name is Richard. Uh, yeah, Richard Parker. Richard Parker. His, His name is Richard Parker. I'm sorry. His name is Richard Parker. His name is, His Richard, name Parker. is Richard Parker. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the way that it the way that it develops um, and like the just that that whole section of the movie is is my favorite uh, part of the movie. And to be honest, I feel like I like it so much that it all, almost doesn't sit as well with the other parts of the movie in my head that much. Um, in that I feel like I have this problem of there's the themes and then there's the story. And I honestly think I like the story better than the themes, even though I realize and can recognize that uh, the tiger is a symbol and like all, all of these things, yeah. like I can feel the themes interweaved in the story, but I don't feel that connected to the themes. So they don't yeah, hit I mean, me that well. I think like Hunter, like you and I both really like the leftover. And I think yes. like, I really like The Leftovers for a lot of the same reason that I really resonate with Life of Pi. I think The mm -hmm. Leftovers deals a lot with the idea of like what what are the stories we tell ourselves, you know? Like that's all yes. our lives yes. really are. That's all the world is. It's, it's a series of stories we tell ourselves. The idea of me, the idea of you. Well, we're all just a collection of stories and how you want to interpret those, how you want to like, what is the difference between a weird freak occurrence and a miraculous miracle, you know, it's entirely in the person's yes. point of view, right? And there is no difference. And like, we tell ourselves stories to make sense of our world and our tragedy. And I do think that like, because there is no one, no real way to prove what happened on the boat. And it does kind of come down to like, there's no way to really prove, you know, what happened in this, like, mythological biblical story or something like that so like the idea is that you want to like find the thing that resonates with you about stories and why are stories important to us as a culture and as a people and i think that is what makes this movie so much more interesting fine. uh i yeah. think that's fine i think that part can still exist here but if this is a story about a kid who survived this whole time with a tiger on a boat and then he when it, uh, interrogated is like Actually, it might have been a guy who killed my mom, and then I killed him. That would be insane. That well, that story he, is stupid. Yeah, well, he only it, says that after they don't accept the first story. Yeah, it's an insane. Right, like but the fact that he's immediately able to pivot—if that was improv, where he's like, <laughs> "All right, sure, sure, fine, you're right. Let me make up a dumb story for you." So what happened was my mom was there, and then he killed my mom, and he had this terrible laugh, and I stabbed him with my knife. Yeah. Be like, "Whoa, kid." Chill out. Right, but he also improv. made up a crazy story in your version of this movie, which I'm not saying I'm not contradicting your version. version you I mean, mean everybody's version. No, I'm saying that this this movie intentionally uh lets you leaves the door open. It's a yeah. leave the door open movie. It is yeah, not I'm a not, closed door movie. I'm not like telling you you're wrong. I'm just saying that it is like it, it's a little bit more fun to like, kind of step back and kind of sort of um take the movie however you want, rather than saying one way or another. And I do think that, like, saying one thing is the truth and not the other kind of loses a bit of the impact of the film. Um, but what I... I think what we really okay. need to talk Look, about... Look, you don't have to... We don't have to... Let me let me say this. Okay, me you don't. But you don't have to. We don't have to pretend that it's not cool that he made up a story. <laughs> like you, you get, how could you not? That you're like, man. The thing about Fight Club is, I just love him blowing up art museums, and I don't care if it was him the same the same no. guy the whole time. Yeah, it's like 
Part of the fun is that you made me reanalyze the whole movie yeah. with a surprise at the end. That's a fucking fun movie. Yeah, but Fight Club's different because in Fight Club, you know definitively what has happened at the end. You you know definitively what I the, think the, you are pretending to not know definitively what happened because you like the 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 imaginary world. This is a movie that described which he took the time to tell you which character each animal was. This movie has an opinion about what really yeah, happened. I, I think that, I don't think so. I don't I really don't yeah, think it does. I, 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 I agree with Hunter. I think what we really need to talk about the most important thing that every time I, both times I've seen this movie, the thing I can't get out of my head is that like. Gio Depadu was once considered like the sexiest man in the world, <laughs> and he's like the biggest blonde. He's such a fucking I've fly seen. in the soup <laughs> in this fucking movie. I, uh, um, yeah, he, yeah, what, a, what a gross dude he was. I liked that about but, him. I mean, I do. He was like, an interesting, gross dude, right? But he's a well, yeah. So he was playing a horrible person in the movie, but he's also a really horrible person in real life. So much so, oh, perfect, to, to where it's just a bummer to see him in a movie. Yeah, um, oh, I, I didn't know he was that shitty. No, um, he's very, very shitty. But in, in serious, okay, like, the so main, that was a good point, Anthony. I, I want to do. Well, I, I just want before we talk about that. Your main thing, which I do want to talk about, I just want to say real quick is that um, uh, I did see that M Night Shyamalan was considered mm-hmm. was was going to direct this movie for a little while, and I do think since we're talking about the ending, that that would have completely ruined the movie. Right. Yeah, Not like even if it was the exact yeah. same movie, but just his name in the beginning, I'd yeah, be like, yeah, yeah. okay, who's this tiger representing? Yeah. I bet he's not really a tiger. Like, you could not do this interesting twist ending if your thing is like, we brought the surprise guy. Also, mm-hmm. like, uh, trying to dress up Philadelphia to look like India would be really weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh. Where does he sh- live? Is it Philadelphia? Is where he films all his movies? I get the joke stands either way. Don't anyway, don't go too deep into but, it. Like I, did, but you want to talk about the three D, Anthony? Well, I did want to talk about sort of the just sort of the visual look of this movie and how incredible it yes. is. And I, it's the type of thing that like I love when movies are like in very sort of limited locations and don't have a lot of sort of like. Uh, opportunities to change it up. Like the fact that most of this movie is on a boat with a tiger, but every scene looks different. Like the fact that he's not shooting the same. Yeah. Yeah. They filmed an entire movie in a swimming pool, but it's a different swimming pool every time. Yeah. But I mean, just like the way the, the, it looks it's like every scene has its own feel and aesthetic to it. And I really, really respect Uh that because that is an incredibly tough thing to do. Like, especially if you watch like movies that take place in like one room or something. And it's just like, you get so bored by the end of that one room, but really good directors are able to like, visually distinguish it the entire time and i think this movie does that super well i do wish that there was a way to see this in 3d uh that didn't involve like having to like track down a 3d television and a 3d blu-ray and like stuff that's like impossible right (laughs) Right, yeah Mm -hmm. um because seeing this in the theater in 3d was like a a visual spectacle that really blew my mind um Right. I think it like especially like yeah. when you're watching it uh in sort of 2D, I even with that you can tell like this movie was planned for 3D in a way that like the best 3D movies are. There's just this constant set of depth. Yeah. And the way like it's the transitions from scene to scene happen are really, really cool. You right. know, like uh there's a scene very early on when he's talking about his uncle and uh 
the pool he's named after. And he's talking about how clear the water is. Mm -hmm. And it's like the shot of these people on a balcony. And you realize you're actually looking through the water as someone swims through the frame. Uh, Just stuff like that was, yeah, looked so amazing. and so visually clever. Um, and for like, yeah, a CG I mean, I, animal for eight I years think 3D ago, is the worst invention, and it, sh- yeah, it looks great. Yeah, so I want to talk about 3D and the, the CG separately. Yeah, the the so okay, so I am also generally um, a CGI, um, uh, the opposite of an apologist, um, <laughs> a blameologist. I hate <laughs> CG. I hate it. it. It ruins. It takes me out of the moment so hard on so many movies. And one of the reasons why I wanted us to watch this is because this was in was mentioned in my the stupid film class I took online uh, last month at during this the special effects episode about like this is CG brilliantly done this is yeah. CG done exactly right for the right reasons yeah. and it is incredible and I with a with with notable exception of the opening scene where you're hanging out in a zoo and half the animals are real and half are not. And it's really easy to tell which is which. Yeah. Except for that scene where you just play the game. Why didn't they get a real giraffe? The rest of it is like, uh, cause they had a real lion. The rest of it is like just brilliantly immersive. The tiger is a character in all of the right ways. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just brilliantly done. CG 3d. I am 10 times more skeptical of 3d than I am of CG. And I have only liked 3D one time, which we've talked about a bunch of times. I mentioned all the time, which is Coraline. It's the only time CG or 3D has been properly used in a movie. And even still, I'd rather you don't do it. I think it's a bad technology. It doesn't work very well. It gives me a headache. I hate wearing glasses over my glasses. Everything about it sucks. Right. But I can see what you're talking about here. I could see how this would also be a thing where they used it to make a movie better instead of to charge four more dollars for the same movie. Yeah, I mean, I do think that like it's a movie that especially because... Uh, the reason why Ang Lee wanted to do this in 3D was because this is like a a new agey philosophical film that he wanted to play like a blockbuster. And like yeah. 3D <laughs> was a huge part of like how he got this made was like studios were like, you want to make a $120 million movie about God? What the fuck? No. And he was like, well, we'll do it in 3D and it will be a big visual spectacle. Right. And there is like right. re- like really cool things that this movie does. Like outside of its use of depth, there's a scene with the flying fish where the aspect ratio changes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason why it does that because in three D, the fish would come in and out of the aspect ratio, so it would look even more like they were flying right. in or out of the frame. It was one of the coolest uh... things I have ever seen in the theater. And I do think that... Okay, so I, I was assuming the reason it changed aspect, aspect ratio was that a fish flying up over the boat hit the focus puller <laughs> on the camera, and he like went, Bleh! and so they had to change it. No, uh, you don't yeah. change Well, they're not real fish, Alex. No, that's impossible. Oh, they're not? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, but- you know what else? I also thought the fish were only there, like the penguins in Star Wars were there to sell plush toys. I assume you can buy an Ang Lee flying fish plush toy all like goopy and covered in like whatever the hell well i just love when they would slap him in the chest and leave little scales behind that i want to play with that toy but it is (laughs) like i i I think that this is like uh the biggest problem with hollywood and sort of the big hollywood movie machine uh there's a lot of problems with it but the most consistent problem (laughs) is that hollywood will always take Racist. Wrong, <laughs> yeah, racist. Always, yeah, always be racist. And then uh, ABO, you know, 
but it will like it will always take uh-huh. the wrong lesson from any success, right? They never learn the 100%. right uh, lesson. And so, like, with, like, 3D, the thing that I think mm-hmm. kind of really bums me out is I do think that movies like Life of Pi, Avatar, Hugo, Coraline, these movies that were kind of shot and considered mm-hmm. with 3D in mind, you really do, I think, get something noticeable out of it. The problem with 3D is, like... You know, like Jeffrey Katzenberg was very famously um, a horrible monster. You know, now before he ruined uh, mm-hmm. the internet with Quibi, he you know was and after he right. done <laughs> ruining. Disney I feel like the, I feel like the only. I, sorry, I think the internet survived Quibi just fine. I think the brilliant thing about Quibi is that the only thing it ruined is two hundred million dollars that Jeffrey Katzenberg had yeah, and that's itself. Good. Like, no, we all like it was more just we we had a great time making fun of it when it launched and when it got canceled. Also, I guess this podcast doesn't really like Shrek that much. Jeez. (laughs) But like Jeffrey, not really Shrek heads, are you? You know, famous for like any, take any, your favorite moment of any Disney Renaissance film. And I guarantee you, Jeffrey Katz Mm -hmm. tried to cut it. Right. Like he's just famous for that. Like (laughs) any of those Disney movies you love. There's a story with like, yeah, Jeffrey came in and wanted to cut that song, you know, uh, but he was like the guy who <laughs> really like after Avatar came out and like leading up to Avatar was like 3D. We have to go all in on that. Make everything 3D. It's harder to pirate. It makes us more mm-hmm. money. And like people like James Cameron and Ang Lee would like <laughs> ask him not to do that. Like, don't post convert every movie right. to 3D because that's what that is what actually I think killed 3D was the gold rush of Hollywood post-converting a bunch of movies to 3D that didn't need to be. And then the main thing that I think really hurt 3D was the second someone wanted to go see a movie and only had the option for 3D, I think that is what really pissed oh, me man. off. Oh, <laughs> man. Like, that was the like, worst. Like, I didn't mind seeing stuff in 3D, but when you would go to see a movie and it's like, I know it wasn't shot in 3D, it's a bad post-conversion and I want to see the movie, but the only option is 3D. I think that's. And what now I got to pay five really, extra dollars and I have to wear glasses over my glasses yeah, this whole that time. Really mm-hmm. soured people. That's on. not a fair deal. But I do think that 3D, like CG, like anything else, is a tool in a filmmaker's toolbox. And if it's used well, considered. I do think like the CG argument is like bad CG is annoying. But also, like I've said on the show before, like take any movie you love in the last 10 years that you think doesn't have CG in it, and like 25% of that movie is CG, right? Like CG is mostly kind of... Yeah, I guess my main thing with CG, that's such a good point. And it's it's used for... Yeah, it's it's used for replacing signs and street scenes and like set all these backgrounds. Yeah. I think the thing that... I, yeah, set extensions. Yeah. The thing that bugs me about CG is that it seems like the people in charge don't know when to not use it. Yeah. Like, it seems like they... Because I look at a shot, and I'm like, this is driving me crazy. That's not what elephants look like. That's not how they move. Right. This has nothing to do with this. Why did you approve this? Mm -hmm. Why did you put this in? Why did the creative people see this and say that's good enough? And it seems like they don't know when it's good and when it's not good. Yeah, I mean, I think my big... Yeah. my biggest problem with CG is like when I'm watching a movie and there's like a car like chase and like a car blows up and it's CG and it's like, 
why would you become an action filmmaker if you don't want to blow up real cars? Like that seems yeah, like the right. afford to blow up a car. It might uh, not even be more expensive to blow up a car. It's cheaper. <laughs> I guarantee you it's cheaper. Yeah. But it's like why <laughs> you you're just lazy at this That's point. A good point. Like why get into making this type of movie if you don't want to actually build elaborate sets and blow stuff up? Like why when it's that kind of scene, Well, I think that annoys me. I, I think yeah. we're actually running into a problem now of where the industry isn't actually um, uh, we're not actually getting new filmmakers that are into that kind of nuts and bolts, practical filmmakers, because, you know, the biggest game in town is the capital D Disney game. And at this point, uh, I know at least with the MCU films, uh, the directors don't really touch any of the uh, visual effects like action set piece stuff. Mm -hmm. That's basically done. Uh, that's like directed by like a house the uh, VFX team for the Marvel movies. Um, Crazy. So we're not even getting new filmmakers that would understand how to blow up a car and and do it cool like and have stunts people. And you need and you need people that know what they're doing in order for that to happen. Yeah. Otherwise, you're gonna blow up the car all wrong. Yeah. Well, or hurt somebody, Alex. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> a good point. You're right. I don't want to do mean, that. That's just the. Well, I assume you'd hire a car blow upper guy. I'm sure well, there's like. But a... why? Okay, but here's the problem: is if we don't keep making movies where this is such a weird problem, but it is a real problem. If we don't keep making movies where you got to blow up the real car, why are we going to have a car blow up guy at all? Car blow up guy is going to be gone essentially. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I mean, look at like what happened with like Stan Winston Studio, right? They were people who had you know hundreds of years of combined experience and puppetry and makeup effects. And when, when Stan Winston died and everything was, went over to CG, so much of that knowledge just got lost because those people stopped getting work, you know? But that's why we need, like, well, filmmakers think, okay. like George Miller, who's doing, like, the new Mad Max movie, which is going to have a lot of... Seriously, George but Miller must have trained a hundred new car blow-upper guys for that movie. They each start their own little companies. We blow up cars. Um, <laughs> or a company called, like, We're the Best Boys. And then they, like, blow up more cars. Um, like, that seems like you're, you just need one good seed, and then everyone starts buying that same car company. I mean, I doubt um, the car blow-up people would agree with you. They'd be like, no, we would like more work, please. Yeah. More work, please. <laughs> well... You know, I'm, I guess I'm saying is like you get one good company like that and they are and they make I would. Th this is what I want is I want you to take the right lesson from Mad Max and be like, people like when the cars actually blow up, guys. People like Let's to see real that stuff that that makes it that that even if it's fantastical, it feels real. Like, they're yes. like wow, that was hard to do. Right, well, like, that was part of the reboot of Star Wars was like, look, we actually put a droid in here instead of a cartoon droid. I mean, we have to talk about like Christopher Nolan if we're going to talk about like that. Like, he's really the only director of that scale who was still like mostly doing in camera real effects like he doesn't shoot them mm -hmm. super well but like he actually did crash that plane in tenant you know like tenant right. i think only had like a hundred and like 80 vfx shots i think i remember reading which is like sounds like a lot but if you compare it to like the average big of action blockbuster that has like thousands of effect shots it's pretty neat right. that he's actually still doing that right so there is a few filmmakers that do it but it's so it's a lot of work it's a lot of extra time and patience and i feel like especially in a like just let's get it out on streaming do it as fast and cheap as we can bfx you know just makes it easier and cheaper and it's it's sad it's tragic you know 
It's sad. It's sad. All right. So last question on this topic on Life of Pi. I guess I didn't actually say that I love this movie, but I really love this movie. And that's why, okay. one of the reasons we're talking about it. But one last question about this is, could you survive at sea? Would you be good <laughs> at surviving in a, in, a, in a lifeboat at sea? How do you feel about it? I can't make stuff. So <laughs> I like like when when Pi was making like every time it would cut and the raft was like way better. The, yeah. the raft next to the boat. Um, there's no way I could do anything like that. Well, yeah, so. that's an interesting question because if there's no tiger and you killed that guy and the tiger's a metaphor, you could stay in the boat. Yeah. You don't need to build your own boat boat to dr- be dragged behind the good boat. Right. Well, except for the real story this... is the tiger, so the raft was real. Yeah. So yeah, that's well, interesting. That, I, is, that does make it kind of confusing. You, I mean, so are we talking the exact not? Forget like the tiger or other people, just us in a boat. Are we talking the same kind of like boat that has like supplies? I mean, you could you could tell me water? what your edges are because, but this boat was like the most well prepared boat to be marooned in I've ever seen. It was, it was a nuts. brilliant boat. It yeah. had it had users manuals for everything. It had a shit ton of food and water. It had a solar still so that you could just make more water out of the air. This was a cool ass. I felt it had a big canvas thing that you could make a sail out of or just protect yourself from the sun. I felt like I could survive in that boat mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, more than I could in a normal boat. That, I feel like I might even be a nice vacation to be in that I, boat for a month. I, actually, do we... Okay, I just want to put this out there. If there's anybody that knows anything about boats, lifeboats, or whatever, how realistic or not realistic was that boat exactly? Because to me, it seemed like it, it, was, it had too much stuff in it. But I don't I know. Wonder if, been I, I would assume that if you have a big... Um, sailing uh, sailing vessel like that going across the oceans that your legal requirements probably are to have a lifeboat for every person and enough food and water in that boat for each person in the boat for a month or something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if there's I mean, like I, I think my legal frameworks problem this was I would be so despondent and sad that it would take me like five days to realize I can open up the floor panels and find supplies. <laughs> like I would just no, be come on. In That's the not, you're being too hard on yourself, Anthony. Uh, Even if you would, I've done escape rooms with you. You would start looking under the floor panels right away. That's, that's hopefully true, but. I, I think that's true. I think you'd be like, well, I wonder what other cool shit we got in this boat. Um, and he had, I mean, there were like, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were like, also, here's a box of fidget spinners to keep your mind active or whatever. Like there was so much stuff in mm-hmm. that boat. That was a nice, nice ass boat. I I have this feeling though, because I've listened to like, for some reason, stories of people uh, marooned at sea have come up a bunch of times on different podcasts I've listened to. So I feel like I'm actually like kind of ready. <laughs> I feel like I've been training to be marooned at sea for a while, and I'm like most of the way there. I think I could do it. One of the tricks is you catch a fish, and then you put the fish in your shirt and you squeeze it. And you can actually, f- fresh water will come out of that fish. If you squeeze out the fish juice, there's enough fresh water to live on. So you catch a fish, you got food and water right there. You wow. would be so obnoxious to be in a boat with. You'd be like, I've been trained for this. This is dude, what I wanted. I, I dude, sunk I, the main boat. I did it. I we have ruined more this. than one book club, and we were not marooned. We could leave at any time. So I guarantee <laughs> you I would not be fun on a long boat trip. I, I uh, have one uh more question before we kind of get off life of pie i want to this is i want to hear both of your opinions on this but alex uh, i'm really curious what is your interpretation of the island in life of pie oh i'm glad you asked that what do you think the island what is the island to you great i'm so glad you asked that pass 
I like literally the one last note that I had here that I didn't I was going to cut for time was I don't get this fucking island so yeah I don't know I like the island makes no sense to me um it it I I mean my only thought is he was losing his mind and considered just letting himself die he considered giving up and I felt like so he's sitting like the floating island where he could is him going maybe I don't go back to sea or to shore Maybe I just sit here, slowly die of dehydration, smile, mm-hmm. and then drown. And like, it's not a big deal. I, okay. I think that's um, a really good answer, Alex. Like, genuinely, I think that is my sort of original main interpretation is that okay. the island sort of represents the idea of giving up and death. Uh, and I, I don't think, think it's that just giving up our sexuality. Go ahead. I want to, I want to curve the ball a little bit because I, I do agree with what Alex just said. I think it's more like giving in to the tiger side of Pi's oh. personality. Uh, that is, Where, so he if, just lands on on the island in Mexico, the beach in Mexico, pulls out his knife, starts stabbing people. Well, He's like, "I'm still a tiger, motherfucker." Not, not, as, El not as goofy as that, but just like he had integrated into nature to such an extent at that point uh, uh, that he yeah. could have just. That, that just the idea of him just being like, you know what? I like it out here, and I'm just going to be a wild tiger on this boat, um, which I realize might be frustrating because earlier I said that I view the the tiger thing as actual the story and not uh, well, just so representation. Well, so same, same but, thing where you're just like, maybe this tiger and I fuck. Maybe this is we start maybe, a new species right here on this boat. Maybe they like it now, and yeah. this is just what they're going to do. Because, um, you know, the way meerkats pop up when they're looking around, that's got to be about sexuality yeah, maybe I, yeah sexy I, meerkats i've heard uh someone's interpretation that like the uh the the meerkats from high up look like maggots so it was like the body, oh. the body oh. in the boat. and it was like the island represents like sort of cannibalism um right because oh right 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 because he in in the story that he tells the second story the obviously true story is that he kills the chef and then eats his body and uses it as bait. And yeah. so if the idea was that's a rotting body on the boat and he is like come to terms with this part of him where he's a cannibal and then he finds a tooth and is like, oh, yeah, I'm an island that eats people. And then he's like, wait, I am a rock. I am an island. And then he's and then someone's like voice in the back of his head is like, look at that tooth. No man's an island. And then he's like, oh, fine. Yeah. I'll go to Mexico. Yeah. Splish, splish, splish. I mean, if it, it is, I think it is something along the idea of like this finding if it is sort of the cannibalism or death or whatever the island kind of is i do kind of interpret especially because the scene before it is like his he's really at his lowest point in his faith in god like he's literally yelling at god and he kind of finds this like this place of serenity and easy life that could be representing like giving up your faith or giving up the will to live and to be around people. And it is something that is like, will be comforting by day, but takes from you at night. You know, it's mm-hmm. an it, um, idea. I, I like. will say that one interpretation that I think is definitely n- not true is the interpretation that I saw that the Island represents humanity's pollution with carbon dioxide emissions, causing ocean acidification. I ah. think that person does not get movies. No. Or maybe they just brought some very specific baggage to yeah. this yes, one. Yes, that's exactly what I think. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, all right, that's a good place to stop. We have one more segment to talk about, and then we are out for the day. Stick around. 
Nope, didn't happen again. Good. Okay, so that one works. Um, so it's time for segment three. Our final thing we're going to talk about today is it's time for the argument. So this is a new. We're going to try. We're, we're just making slight adjustments on this format that we've done the last couple weeks about movies. So this is Hunter. Your suggestion, a little gamification. So here's <laughs> what we're going to do with this argument this week is we're going to take our question based on this movie, which is what is the best movie about survival, and we are going to each propose one option have a little discussion about it and at the end um see who has most clearly made the case and decide who wins is that fair hunter is that close i think that's fair yeah yeah and it just has to be it it we just the three of us just have to like it the best as the answer it doesn't even yes. have to be the best answer objectively okay great uh, right 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 um okay so movie about survival that is all i'm gonna say i'm not it doesn't have to be solo survival that Mm -hmm. could work um i will posit this is pretty obvious i've mentioned this a few times but top for me apollo 13 Mm. okay i think you're because one of the things that i want to my favorite thing in a survival situation is clever solutions to living in adversity adversity i like and and the best scene of that in the history of film is the scene where they're like, here is a roll of duct tape, a binder, a couple of tissue boxes, make me an air filter, and then they fucking do. Mm. And that, where you just make an air filter out of garbage to save a bunch of people's lives, that really happened. Yeah. So I think that's a brilliant story of survival, is when they do an elaborate kit to refit the spacecraft to another spacecraft. I mean, <laughs> by, can can we say, like, like, um, like the Warriors? is a story of survival. Totally. Totally. You know, yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. concrete jungle. Um, but no, I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I want to stay with the Tom Hanks thing and definitely reference again. Castaway, I think is yes. uh, really good. Especially yeah. because I had not seen Castaway since, oh God, probably 10, 15 years ago. And I rewatched it with my wife recently. And it, as yeah. an older person in my thirties. Now that movie hits me so much more especially the ending. Oh, interesting. Like, I really don't like that big speech when he explains all the themes, but where the movie ends, I remember as a kid so I, I, when I saw it being like... To be clear, I've not actually seen this movie. I've not seen yeah. this yet, so... Oh, yeah, I'm not gonna... It, it just kind of has a fairly blunt, uh, kind of odd ending that as a kid, I just like... I didn't get it. I was like, I don't... But as like an older person, right. it really hits me. Um, so I do definitely like that. Uh, so I, I would probably put that as maybe my favorite. Um, but I just want to yeah. quickly throw out uh, Touching the Void is a documentary about a real um, uh, mountain climbing accident that this guy had to. Oh, he basically. uh he had like a the movie scene where he was tied to somebody and he fell through ice and his friend cut him and let him fall and break his legs and he had to climb oh, down shit. a mountain. Uh, really great true story. Really, um, really interesting. But that one has always stuck with me. Um, and then... I don't know why, but for some reason I am less excited about somebody... Like, I don't want to watch somebody with in a mountain. I don't know. I, I like space. I like the ocean. <laughs> I'm a, I like an island, but the idea of it in a mountain, I just it's more scary Why? to me and less fun. I don't know. It does. It feels maybe it's like I'm just. I feel like situation. I'm more likely to. 
yeah. trip and fall on a mountain than I am to trip and fall into an, a desert uh, island. Oh, 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 I see. Because you believe in the scariness and you're like, that could happen to me. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels more intense. Whereas like The Martian, you're like, oh, it's so fun. He's making poop potatoes. Like, I don't know. It's more exciting. <laughs> I mean, space movies like this, The Martian and Gravity are both really great. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But Although I, I will make the point, one of the reasons why Apollo 13 is above those two movies in terms of, of survival is that they shot half of it in, you know, first of all, real, and second of all, they shot a lot of it in zero G, so it looks really cool. And I, I want to give a shout out to one more survival movie, yeah. I think about it. I don't know why. I haven't seen this movie <laughs> in a long time. It's probably not good, but for some reason, uh, you guys ever see, uh, what was it called? The Edge with Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, no. For some reason, it was I, I've never seen that like cable a lot when i was a kid so i've probably seen the edge 25 times i don't know why huh. i found it really watchable but it's uh alec baldwin huh. anthony hopkins stuck in the wilderness they have to fight a bear it's okay a bear yeah yeah uh, i i definitely probably would not like it too much now but for some reason it really stuck with me when i was a kid um and one final thing, I want to say The Revenant is a piece of shit. That movie sucks. And I hate everything about it. <laughs> I was just going <laughs> to say, you can't bring up bears and say that you not, not mention The Revenant in this. But, that movie uh, so, yeah, blows. Uh, fuck The Revenant. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think there's some. So you had a lot of things out there, but your actual entry into this, into this argument is our second Thomas the Hank Engine film, Castaway, Hunter. What is your? You can do some shout outs, but what's and what's your main vote? No, I have no no shout outs. Just the pure, uh, my pure submission for uh, the argument. The best survival movie of all time is Children of Men. Um, okay. That is my pick uh, because mm. here's why: uh, it has all of the elements of a good survival movie. We see lots of action sequences where our characters are really just struggling. Uh, to survive uh, the second and third act of this movie is basically just people uh, running through uh, really uh, conflict heavy uh, areas uh, with very long uh, one take shots that are uh, beautifully extravagant and insane. Just kind of that type of filmmaking where you're just like, how did they do this? This is such an amazing level of uh, synchronicity. Um, and the other thing, the other reason that I think it is a good pick, it might not be a tradition. It's nothing like Castaway or or like any like Life of Pi. Even it's not that type of survival movie. But to me, it is a capital S survival movie because the story of Children of Men is literally just about the um, survival of the human race as a whole, um, not just the survival of just our characters. However, it is also a story about just these characters trying to lowercase s survive each scene that you see them in so really interesting point about that i guess i so i don't know that i'm, I'm not convinced that we should survive like <laughs> okay that's one of the problems is i'm not sure as a species it's like i'm not sure we're really crushing it right now right um and i think definitely children of men has a a pretty pessimistic tone as far as um where we are at politically and socially and it it is that i i watched it i i rewatched it uh, like two months ago, uh, after having not seen it for like like maybe ten years, um, or actually, has it even been that long since it came out? I don't know. It, yeah, it came regardless, out it's been a while. Two thousand seven, um, two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So, um, yeah, I, I I I don't know that that the point of the movie is necessarily defining whether or not we should survive. 
but it is a movie about survival. Um, right. I, I would say on every level, thematically and, and in a, a macro sense of survival of the species, but also the survival of uh, the characters that we see on screen. Yeah, um, and honestly, the logistics of them surviving each sequence is basically what you're dealing with. So it does feel, you know, like you talk about, um, you know, great, great scenes in a survival movie deal with like, uh, oh, they figured out this like neat trick so that they could survive. Well, there's a really great sequence in Children of Men where they're trying to get a car to start and people are chasing them with guns. And it's logistically very tense, like very, yeah. very freaky. Yeah. And you're just watching someone push a car slowly. Yeah, I mean, great. second Alfonso Coyon movie we've mentioned uh, on this thing, third uh, Lubinsky cinematography film we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Children of Men is... Uh, if I have not uh, seen Alfonso Cuaron also was at one point signed on to direct Life of Pi. Uh, yeah. Which I assume um, would have made it a much sexier time with him and that tiger. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Um, okay, so great nominations. It did remind me, though, since you have that, that also I think on this list should probably be Swiss Family Robinson because um, they're surviving on an island. They're surviving against pirates. They have to build a tiger pit to save themselves, which is dope. A lot of ingenuity. But the uh, the heart of Swiss Family Robinson is not survival; it's thriving. It's like we've made a new family civilization in tree houses, and that's a cool a cool part. That's almost like him becoming the island, the cannibal island mm-hmm. in, in Life of Pi, where they're just like, "No, we just live here now. We're gonna set up businesses. We're gonna do society." And I think that's an interesting part of a survival movie. It's like at some point. You just live on this island, and you're no longer surviving on an island. I think that's really cool. Um, I haven't seen 127 hours in a long time, but I remember. Oh, that's a mountain one, isn't it? That was. That's the true story of the guy who had to cut his own arm off. Nope. Oil movie. Nope. Um, I (laughs) nope. That was so hard. Did I mention nope? I'm so not interested in this movie. Oh my god, no. Can I tell you a story? I don't know where I heard this story, but I think about it a lot. but you guys know the movie, speaking of survival movies, it came out a few years ago, All is Lost, the Robert Redford movie. Uh, it's about a guy I have not seen it. stranded on a boat. It's very, very Life of Pi similar. But there's this great story I've heard of a handful of film critics reference about a pretty famous Q&A after All is Lost, where Robert Redford uh, was, host, was doing this Q&A, and all these film critics were there, and this one critic got up, and get, went on like this five minute speech, this rambling thing that people do before they ask a real question so that everyone hates a Q&A's. And this guy rambled for like five minutes uh-huh. and then went, uh, I guess my point is, um, is all lost? And that was it. <laughs> just asked, he gave him this five minute speech and then asked Robert Redford just the title of the movie. Man. Uh, and I think about that. Ugh. If there <laughs> is a lower. If you want to like show somebody, if you want to give somebody a low opinion of humanity, if you were trying to make the case children of men should not survive, I think it would be Q&As. Yeah. I I think that's where you could see all is lost. Humanity doesn't deserve to survive. We are, there's no thing, there's nothing we can ruin faster than a good Mm Q&A. Yeah, I mean, I would love to do that. If I ever get to a QA and a with a filmmaker, I'm going to do a big rambling thing and then go, I guess my question is, um, who are the children of men? Uh, just like asking <laughs> the title of the movie. 
That's very funny. There, I, like I've seen a couple of live podcasts, and like Portland, I think is especially bad for this because you get a, there's a specific kind of person who's been waiting for a mic for a long time in Portland that will tell you their 10 minute story of their kombucha business, and then <laughs> the like get prompted to ask a question about politics, and then have no no question to ask. Um, anyway, it's really I, I hate them. Okay, but let's make this okay. So let's make this now. Uh, uh, the game part so we have a lot of good nominations a lot of fun side notes but the we actual nominations, nominations. Are, <laughs> the, but the only actual many. contenders the only yes. three contenders we actually said are children of men castaway and apollo 13 and i'm gonna say a little bit difficult for you to convince me of the other two movies because i have not seen either of them ah. so it's a little bit a flaw in this game that i have not seen enough movies yeah but, that is a problem <laughs> The one thing, I, but I do find the idea that it's like both about this person and the survival of the species very compelling. I actually, I was kidding about that before because we do mm-hmm. suck, but that's a really clever twist on this. But I also like Castaway as in like classic person with a beard on an island alone. Yes. Like I like that a lot. Yeah, the um, filming of Castaway is really cool. Like the fact that they took a year off so Tom Hanks could lose the weight. Uh, I don't know if you knew about that. He they shot no. a whole movie in between What Lies Beneath, but they shot the first oh. half of the movie before he gets to the island, and then the movie jumps four years and he's way skinnier. They took a year off so Tom Wick Tom Hanks could actually get the body for the film. Um but I uh, like that. That's cool. It's not it's not quite as good as going in the vomit comet to shoot Apollo thirteen, well, but it's it's similar. Also, I think like of what you would like about it, same thing as Apollo thirteen. It deals with a lot, at least in the sort of the first act, a lot of actual problem solving. Like him figuring yeah. out how to make fire, yeah. how to feed himself. Like that is like the most satisfying stuff in the film i think yeah i also like about it is that it's basically a far side comic where it's just like this guy in a beard alone on a small island with one tree and a beach ball to talk to it feels like (laughs) the most classic image of a survival story and the fact that they could make it that recently and have it be interesting is real points to it so i think these are all really good nominations i am not sure how to pick a winner from this well let's let's try and disqualify one uh and i think if we want to if we want to place a lot of value on the mechanics of survival, I think we can disqualify children of men because it only loosely fits mm-hmm. that description. If we decide, I, I think if we were going to lean, you know, I think thematically I've got it in the bag personally. Yes. I think the theme goes deep. Um, well, the theme but, of castaway, I assume is that he is cast away. Is that right? Then no, nope. Uh, the casting is not a big yeah, theme. Does the he theme. doesn't do any fishing. There's He's no like, way you could write, on a paper, the theme of this is the words cast and away. That's so it, it's not that he. It, so, what would be cool is if society had rejected him, he had been cast out. I think that could be a Black Mirror episode. Well, then uh, the yeah. theme would be rejection, Alex. It wouldn't be. Well, but castaway could mean rejection, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, I think it's hard to. I, I, I do agree with Hunter that uh, Children of Men might be the odd man out here. It is hard mm-hmm. to, like, anytime you reference that movie because it is... I mean, I think all three of these movies kind of fall in this, but uh, Children of Men definitely set the tone for, like, cool indie outhouse movie yeah. over the last ten years. Science fiction like, movies, yeah. Children of Men is probably the most stolen from film of the last 20 years, right? Just in terms right. of, like, Without I, Children of Men, you don't get like 1917 or The Revenant or 
any of these movies that are all about sort of long takes and a very sort of gritty feeling to it. It is Golden Man is one of those movies mm. that is the wasn't a huge hit when it came out, but its influence is in in immeasurable. Super, super influential. I I, I want to yeah. I'm I I am down to disqualify it before we we uh, set it out the door. I just want to say that I'm not one of those people that thinks that a long take is just the end all be all though. And and the idea that a lot of people have kind of ripped the long take as being this like super cool thing. If there's not a point to your long take, if it doesn't have a purpose, then I don't care for it. And I feel like that is a kind of common thing now for movies to have one sequence that's very long that just, I don't know, it doesn't add any tension. It doesn't say anything about the characters. It's just there for you to go like, wow, that was cool that they did that, I guess. Um, um, I'm, I'm glad you guys mentioned this because um, we have this question sitting in our mailbag from Tom from November that I just haven't quite been able to work into a discussion. This was this. Um, Tom says, hello, meat daddies. I, which already I'm upset. I but anyway, I'd, I'd love for you to talk about one very specific movie technique, the one shot. Yeah. Best use in movies, most impressive camera work, etc. I keep thinking about the German movie Victoria from 2015, oh, yeah, yeah. which was oh, a single 134 yeah. minute take. Mm-hmm. Um which I think, so I, I'm glad we were able to finally work this in a little bit, uh, Tom, and thanks for being a, a meat buddy, uh, a meat baby. Um, I, um, I, I'm i interested in the whole thing being one take because that's just a play. I think that's kind of fun. It's just a play with cameras there. Um, we, we're used to, we can do a whole story in one take. That's yeah, Well, and like Victoria, like specifically the, the, the plot of that movie is like someone getting pulled into this crazy adventure in like right. the nightlife of the city. So like it, the one shot like thematically works there. Yeah. I, so I think that's maybe like, just like we we're talking about with CG is where it's like, and, and 3d where it's, this is because it makes this movie better. Not because you're just showing off that you can do this as part of your cred that you have to put a long take in every movie. It's, it's like, you know, like the idea of like the long take and something like good fellas, which is like one really famous long take. It's all about like, this is where his life is going the smoothest. This is where things are going the best, right? Like that's why all of Goodfellas is shot very controlled uh. and very like, uh, like very long takes in the beginning, and then in the last half when everything starts to fall apart, it gets all kinetic and crazy, and it cuts a lot. Boogie Nights does the same thing. A lot of long takes in the beginning. I will say just the the theme because I have seen Goodfellas. I feel like the theme of that movie is: Are they really good fellas or are they bad fellas? My whole life, I've wanted to. That's be the a question good I would fella. ask a director. Uh, but he turned out to be a bad fella. That's what I think happened. Um, I want um, I want to say something real quick about this Victoria movie before we move on. Um, so um, obviously. Uh, this is a meat baby. This is one of our meat babies. So I'm going to assume Victoria is a good uh, flick. But what the movie is doing with the one take, as in I'm looking at a poster of it right now, and it is advertising the fact that this movie is shot in one take, is exactly the type of thing that is a red flag to me at this point with the right. idea of a wonner. So I just want to say that. I, I don't. I haven't seen the movie. I have no idea. But the idea of using this very specific film technique as some sort of like they did this with 1917. Um, the idea of using this specific film technique to sort of say like, you should go see this movie because it's all one take that, uh, that kind of grinds my gears a little bit. And, yeah. and cause it's hard to get me 
in the theater if you're just like, listen, we use this very specific technique that is actually like super limiting to make this. It's just a weird starting place. Well, yeah, also, there is a there is a tendency for something like that where it's like, oh, this like I'm a guitar player, but I never used the G string on this whole record. It's like, yeah, I cool. I don't know. You probably um, should, right? It's one of the I, strings. Yeah, there's a reason I, why those we do this normally. I, so I, it does I, sound gimmicky. I, well, the thing is also uh, that over the last 10, ever since Children of Men kind of, I'm sure other movies have done it before, but Children of Men kind of pioneered this idea of like taking multiple takes and stitching them together to look like one mm-hmm. take. That's what it is. Really, that, yeah. Something that really. Um, me actually, out. Anthony, uh, you're thinking of Rope, the Alfred Hitchcock yeah. movie. That well, was I mean, the first movie <laughs> that was a one take, but he actually didn't one take. That's the the kind of the point I was kind of trying to get at is that like Hitchcock had already done the one take movie Rope fifty fucking years ago. Yes. It's not that new of an idea, but also because digital right. editing has allowed us to stitch together takes, it's easier than ever to make long takes and that kind of annoys me i do think it is mm. like like um creed has a really good long take uh where he's in like this which one is like really brilliantly care- choreographed so yeah, that the camera guy doesn't get punched in the face yeah and it's like during a fight and i think like that kind of long take stuff looks really well and is legitimately one take um, but especially like stitching yeah. together a bunch of them to make it look like it. It's like, it's a interesting aesthetic idea, but it's not really that impressive. Um, I, I do think on like a TV budget, okay. like, true detective, the first season does a really long take, uh, in one episode. That's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, that's also like serving really cool. a purpose yeah. towards the plot. Okay, so here's what, let's try this. So to wrap up on our discussion, best survival movie, um, each of you, each of us is going to have to vote for one of the other person's movies. So you can't pick your own. Um, so Anthony, and Children of Men is out. So no, I, we're not. I, we're I not Children of Men. No, no, no. You, yeah. It's not fair. You're you can't just start. You're being too nice to make. No, no, the no. Game but work. this this is this is how it should work. We should we should narrow down our criteria and then be like, okay, this this one. It was it was a good like I mean I think my film was the best film but uh, it it we have to get we have to arrive at a point between the three of us where we're like this is the one I okay so I like that idea but I was seeing it not happen um, okay so I will just like yeah I, I don't know how I'm too competitive I think is part of the problem for this yeah but so okay so Anthony let's just, you had to pick, let's just get okay. a thermometer like three okay. two one castaway. Yeah, I think I mean, you're if probably I can't right. Be, I can't say Castaway. I guess I have to say Apollo 13 in this case. <laughs> right, Children right. Um, Would you have picked Children of Men over Apollo 13? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I really like Apollo 13. I haven't seen it in probably 15 years, so I don't really know. And I'm I watched it again huge... recently. I'd watch it again tomorrow if somebody asked me to. Yeah. I love that movie so much. I'm not a John Howard fan. I definitely prefer Zemeckis or Alfonso Cuaron to... Uh, old Ron okay. Okay. or Clint I Howard. Think, I, I think, like Clint Howard a lot yeah, better. Like Here's my only concern with picking Castaway is that it's a little bit like on the nose. If it's a little bit like, all right, so you want to pick a movie? You like you guys put your minds together, and the best movie about someone being surviving against the odds is a movie that's like Tom Hanks survives against the odds. Like it's just a little bit clear. Uh, but I think you're also Wait, right. I think you if it's a, assuming that? it's a good movie, I'm persuaded. 
But I li- you could literally say that about Apollo 13, a movie about Tom well, Hanks. Fucking happened. Not- yeah, but you but they they didn't. They were like, this fucking happened. Isn't that crazy? We built an air filter out of a sock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I, but, I, so I feel like then we're if we're we're coalescing around Castaway, and I think that's the right answer. So let's just call that the winner. So the best survival film is Castaway. Please send your questions and comments and insults about that discussion or suggested fixes for this game to be more of a game. Uh, to email us, email us podcast at read-weep.com or send your nominations on Facebook and Twitter. I'd love to have a continuing conversation about the best survival movie. Can I ask you guys just one more question before we wrap up about just yes. some, on the theme of survival? What is your favorite disaster survival movie? Just off the top of your head. In terms of like the Dante's Peaks, the Deep Impacts, the Sinking of the Poseidon. Yeah. What is like the best? I'm Poseidon trying to adventure. think one um, I can really like. Inferno. Inferno. Okay, yeah, that was one I, I haven't Did, thought about. We enjoyed I, Inferno. Hmm. Um, you know that Natural? movie Titanic with the Titanic? Yeah. I like that oh, one. Oh, yeah, that was a disaster movie, I guess. Tomorrow. I just don't like the class stuff in it. But. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good question, but I, I think this is a little bit of mission creep right now, so let's focus on getting out of here and we'll come back to that question when we watch a disaster movie um thank you all so much for joining us we will be back again next week with another episode of we've and in the meantime actually to tide you over um on monday we're gonna have a bonus episode where ezra and i talked about bacon bread so um <laughs> for our ezra credit segment this month ezra has been very into making bread and he convinced me to try it and i hate it bread is stupid bread is a lie bread is designed to make you feel bad so that is By baking bread do you mean like Bacon bread, you know? No, do, do people say that? No, I just... <laughs> okay, um, I've heard of... Yeah, anyway, I did a little wake and bake of a loaf of bread, and I it turned out bad, and I, I felt bad. Um, so that's on our bread bonus on Ezra Credit. Um, and then we'll be back again next week. Uh, thank you to all of our meat buddies who keep us uh, limping down the tracks. Uh, and also thank you to everybody who sends us feedback, podcast at readdashweek.com, or you can send us things on Patreon if you're a meat buddy and get better service usually, but not with Tom's question. It took me a while to work it in, but we got there, Tom. Uh, and I'll see you guys on social. All right. Thank you so much for hanging out, Anthony Lopez. Great to be here. And always good to talk to you, Hunter. Take it easy. You guys both survive the winter. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try. You guys have both dealt with a lot of weather. It is 67 and sunny in Los Angeles. You jerk. Don't it's tell weird. Me that. It's weird. I'm not bragging. I feel weird about it. All right. We'll talk to everybody next week. Goodbye. Bye.